Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can also book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. Book hotels in just 10 seconds with three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. An American agent under false suspicion of disloyalty must discover and expose the real spy without the help of his organization. Fantasy. The pod is in the open! <laughs> this is the Rewatchables Mission Impossible. Paramount Pictures presents. Simple game. Is he serious? Always. Tom Cruise. It's much worse than you think. One man. They knew we were coming. Do you read me? Has one chance to do the impossible. I can understand you're very upset. You've never seen me very upset. Rated PG-13. Now playing in theaters everywhere. Oh, this is going to be a fun one, guys. Sean Fennessy, what's up? I brought the knock list. Jason Concepcion. Hello. It's my my own special IMF team. I'm Chris Ryan. This is uh, this is the Rewatchables Mission Impossible 1996 blockbuster. Woo. Uh, very special time, I think, in the three of our lives, right? Just really, like, living that Jonah Hill mid-90s life. I yeah. was wildly pubescent. <laughs> yes. And this was released in 1996, directed by Brian De Palma, produced by Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner. It was their first sort of p- production as as producers for themselves. It was their own shingle that they were working from. Uh, it was written by, and I use this term loosely, mm. Robert Town, David Kep, and Steve Zalian, Damn. although largely I think it was Kep and, and Town and De Palma and Cruz who kind of worked on this script, and we're going to get a lot into that as we go on. When Cruz brought this idea to Paramount and when he said he'd like to make the Mission Impossible into a movie, there was some resistance. I mean, they've been kicking this around for, I think, some reports say up to upwards of 11 years. Wow. Uh, was There had been an idea that maybe we should make a Mission Impossible movie, but... When The Fugitive came out, and there's a rewatchables on The Fugitive, if you want to check that out. Good episode. The Fugitive proved that there was box office potential in television IP on the big screen. And there had already, you know, obviously there was a, this was a time when there was probably a little bit more of a uh, adversarial relationship. Mm-hmm. And if you were a TV star, you were stuck there forever. Yep. You were never going to make the transition to the big screen. And I think that there was probably some mutual hostility on both parts. But this showed that you could go back to these classic things that people remembered fondly. Like the fugitive, like Mission Impossible, and obviously in the years to come, we would see more and more and more of these classic things. Classic this is titles. A, this coming is back. an act of erasure of the Brady Bunch movie, which happened one year earlier. Just wow. want you to please. But didn't the Brady that. Bunch movie also kind of prove the prove the point? Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're trying to say that somehow Mission Impossible and the Fugitive did this, but what about Jan? Though you're right, and everybody who was what worked on Jan, the Brady though? Bunch went on to rule Hollywood <laughs> for the next twenty or thirty years. Uh, this was budgeted at eighty million. I. I I would love to see the books on that. It wound up making $457 million worldwide, but more importantly, launched a franchise that is still going. Yep. And we do this podcast in honor of the upcoming release of Mission Impossible Fallout, which is out this weekend. Number six. And sounds like alive and still kicking, right? Fennessy, you've seen it. Woo! I loved it. I loved it. I Let's, let's not do that here, but I loved sure. it. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see it either. We'll have plenty of potting about 
fallout to come. But I, let's let's talk about Mission Impossible. Uh, one of the things that uh, you know often comes up, especially if people of our age is and, and people who are older than us, it's, it's a trope, it's an adage used as mm-hmm. as long as we've been talking about movies is they don't make them like this anymore. And I don't know if they ever made them like this. This is a weird movie, and it's partially its weirdness and its uniqueness, and it's it felt like it was on the cusp of a new kind of blockbuster, and they weren't quite sure of the rules yet. This was an incredible blockbuster summer, man. Independence Day, Oof. Twister, Ransom, sneakily, a very uh, big box office success that summer. This is probably the peak of Cruz's career. He does Mission Impossible in the summer and Jerry Maguire in the fall and winds up being a real awards contender. Um you know, this was a time, still a time when the movies held enough of a dominance over the cultural imagination that you would go see movies two, three times in a summer. Yeah. Specific, like the same movie. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of powered some of these huge numbers you're seeing. You might need to see this movie twice to understand it, too. That's well, the thing. that's the thing. That's that, the thing. That was the criticism, the big criticism of this movie. Personally, I went from kind of, I think, being, frankly, even, even right out of high school, I didn't get it. The first time I saw it, I don't. I don't think I understood what was going on. I didn't si- understand the depth of references, and I certainly didn't understand the very subversive De Palma psychosexuality of some of the scenes. <laughs> and uh, and then I think it became an ironic watch for a little while. There, it was kind of like dead tech and yeah. and like oh the train and the the hanging in the Langley vault and all this stuff. And it was like oh this is on this is this is pretty good. And now I think it's kind of taken on. This sort of uh, critical adoration because it's you get somebody like De Palma who has such a decided point of view making with all the toys. All the toys are at his disposal. He gets the entire toy chest and it's kind of wild to see him working with the biggest movie star in the world. Three of the great screenwriters of the last 30 years desperately trying to write a screenplay as the movie is shooting. So they did not have a script as the movie was shooting. And they're still writing around these set pieces that they're yeah. devising and trying to figure out. This is like the big sleep again, man, where they're like, I don't know if this movie actually makes any sense. And we're going to get to that. So, guys, I just want to turn it over to you. What What are your memories of this movie? And, and what do you think makes it rewatchable? Sean, we can start with you. There's two things. Inside the movie, the Langley drop is the iconic image yeah. of him hanging. And I, as I have been re-watching the other Mission Impossible movies, I realized that they call back to that specific every moment every time, every time, which I didn't realize was a hallmark until yeah. I started re-watching these movies, which is great. So that is the visual image. The other thing for me is, as I get older and as I get more obsessed with Brian De Palma, as many big movie fans do in their 30s and 40s, um, <laughs> I realize that this is his last great movie. And... It's kind of sad, but it's also the movie that, in some ways, his career is sort of building towards. And it's, which is not to say like franchise IP or a movie star vehicle or any of this stuff, but it has this. It 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 takes something that could have been bland in someone else's hands mm. and makes it like pure sex, pure action, mm-hmm. pure dynamic movie making. He's so good at making every set piece sing. He's so good at making everything that is confusing seem even more confusing, but interesting. And I'm sure we'll talk about every character and scrap of dialogue and the way that the camera is positioned. But he's so fucking good. I love I love Brian De Palma's movie making. And what's wild about this was that they hired him off of Bonfire of the Vanities, Oof, which is like, you know, there are books written about this at the, at the adaptation of that book. And uh, De Palma literally like had just burned a pile of money for a studio. And they were like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not. 
I still think he's got it, and he does have it. He's an incredible filmmaker, but he's obviously it was a really strident individual artist working with this in the studio system, and you can feel that when you're watching the movie. Yeah, it's for me. De Palma is at his best when he's like less. He's twenty percent less De Palma. Yes, uh, like. There, that stuff is still there. There's that great shot of uh, when Emilio Estevez's hacker character is in the is in the elevator shaft, and the camera pulls out and pans up, and you see the floors of the building. That kind of stuff is very De Palma-esque. But when he is not allowed to do that all the time, I think he's, I think he's great. When the when the sexual stuff is under the surface and not necessarily like totally wildly overt, that's that to me is great De Palma. I think this is his second best movie. It's 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 up there. It's interesting. I mean, your mileage may vary. Like, yeah. if you if you're uh, you and I, I think are similar in that respect. Yeah. Where like I really admire Body Double, oh, but yeah, Body, body, body Double is, is like not, right on yeah. the surface. It's yeah. just like here is how everyone thinks about sex, especially if you're <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. And this movie is obviously doing something completely different. It's yeah. meant to be for a mass audience. It's not. It's not a Hitchcock homage. It's not these things that he was adapting over the years and trying to recontextualize. So I don't know. I don't know where it would rank in my. I still have, like, a real fondness for Carlito's Way, even though Mm. I don't think it's as, like, very well regarded within the De Palma canon. I also really like Untouchables, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Blowout. One of the interesting things about this movie is just knowing about the way it was made, which was, you know, you hear about this more and more now where they're going to start shooting this movie, but somebody's still writing the script and parts are still being cast. There was a Premiere Magazine article about the movie written by Tom Friend around the time of its release that was largely and talked a lot with the, some of the people involved. And I just want to give you a snapshot of how of how the creative process on this movie worked. Uh, f- this is Friend writing. There were 4 a.m. last-minute faxes volleyballed to town kept to town again, begging for revisions, and all were mostly De Palma's doing. He had, go- he had read Town's original ending to the movie, and he had hated it. And had gone to cruise with an alternate plan. Quote, Bob thought that we would resolve the movie with a character revelation in the boxcar, leaning toward a Maltese Falcon type of ending, says De Palma. <laughs> I'd constructed a high-speed chase scene on the top of the train, and I thought the movie needed this visceral ending to work. Of course, the cost was huge, and if we hadn't had my ending, we would have saved millions of dollars. Hmm. To, and, you know, there's blah, blah, blah. And then basically they eventually, uh, Tom sided with De Palma. Now, the interesting thing about this is that most of this movie feels like a Bond movie or a Hitchcock movie or maybe the Roy Scheider parts of Marathon Man, creepy European espionage, not what we now associate with Mission Impossible, which is dudes hanging off of the tallest skyscraper in the world. The skeleton is there, though. It's basically like all the Mission Impossible movies basically follow the template of three great set pieces. One is a cold open, snappy dialogue, and a Big finish. Uh, and that's, this movie gives you that. Yeah. That's what this movie is. There's, uh, always, there's always a MacGuffin. Yes. There's always a like, a knock list, a rabbit's right. foot. Some, uh, some virus. A, a chimera yeah, virus, yeah. you know. But you're right. I mean, it, it's it's interesting that there was confusion and frustration over the structure mm-hmm. that they used because they used the same exact structure in every single movie that came yeah. forward. And that's kind of when you know you've hit on something. And I'm, I'm tr- I've been trying to write about this and try to figure out why this is such an elastic and undying franchise and it's because it's the same movie in a good way in a way that doesn't disappoint us you mentioned the words elastic and undying which are two words i would use to describe tom cruise (laughs) wow um it's really wild to go back and watch cruise because you see shades of his performances both the past ones and the future ones Mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of like the tom top gun 
brashness. There's yeah. a little like that Maverick when he's yeah, like when... going up to Jean Renault and he's doing like, the magic trick. Yeah, with I know the what disc. you're thinking. I was up here. He was down there. Yeah, and he makes the disc disappear. It's and weird. and the same. There's a little bit of the Jerry Maguire anxiety, nervousness. Mm. A lot of the edges from Cruz have been sanded down. I think he takes less risks now, obviously. He still makes good movies, but I think that that this was a time when you have to really like take the younger listeners back to the idea that this was the biggest movie star in the world yeah. who was regularly working with people like Paul Thomas Anderson and Cameron Crowe and Aaron Sorkin and doing really provocative, interesting mainstream work. Um, you know, he had been in Color of Money, Rayman, Born on the Fourth of July, and A Few Good Men to show his acting chops. And he is also a movie star with Top Gun, Days of Thunder, and The Firm, which is a movie we both like a lot, Sean. Shout out to Bill Simmons, who does not like it. Where do you see this in the Tom Cruise continuum? Where what is this what does this movie mean in the in the sort of wow. traipsing back through his filmography? Unfortunately, it it screwed up his career. Uh, <laughs> which is a shame because it made him an action star. And mm. he was a movie star without action, with the exception of kind of your Days of Thunder, Top Gun style action, which is a little bit different than what it became meant to be a Tom Cruise right. action star. Now, after this movie, he does really interesting stuff. You already mentioned Jerry Maguire. Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia are sure. to come. And so obviously in that moment, he seems very pointedly pursuing a kind of, I don't know, like lauded Oscar worthy right. kind of role. He doesn't get the Oscar in any of those roles. And his last big hit is Mission Impossible. So what does he do? He returns time and again to Mission Impossible, Minority Report, The Last Samurai, Collateral, War of the Worlds, Mission Impossible 3, Mission Impossible 2, <laughs> Valkyrie, you know, night and day and on and on and on. And almost every movie that he makes for henceforth is in an action style. And the only ones that are genuinely, truly, massively successful like the movies that came before are Mission Impossible movies. And that's yeah. where we find him now. It seems like he tries to recreate some of the buzz around the Mission Impossible. We were talking before the podcast started about like when he like rode a motorcycle across Europe for night and days promo and tour. And I, we've been talking about this a little bit in the office. When was the moment when Tom Cruise became Jackie Chan, like American Jackie Chan? <laughs> when was the moment when he was when his brand became? I did that. I hung off the building. I hung off the side of the aircraft. That's how we're gonna in part, market this movie. Honestly, the day that they hired John Woo to make Mission Impossible 2, mm. because that image of him hanging off the cliff, I was just talking to Shea Serrano yeah. about this, that image of him hanging off the cliff at the, in the cold open of that movie basically sets the template for what oh shit thing will he do next. Right. And that was how we graded all these movies. And I agree with you, Chris, that in this movie, when you rewatch the original it's much more complex and more fun and more rewarding and not kitschy anymore. Right. He's closer to Daniel Caffey than he is what the Ethan Hunt we know <laughs> yes. now as. Yes, who is Superman? Yeah, essentially. I mean, you know, there's that moment in, in 3 where he's on the bridge and the bomb goes off in the car and he gets thrown against yeah. the car and he just gets up. <laughs> yeah. And it's, like, it's like, that would kill most people? Yeah. There's a whole scene in this movie where he's tired. Yeah. He's yes. tired and surfing the net. I mean, there's it's a, very I'm, relatable. <laughs> I mean, when Claire comes back to to the apartment, and he's been like on that jag of being on the internet for whatever it is, twenty straight hours, and he does the Tom Cruise, "I'm extremely tired, so I'm going to blink a lot" yes. thing. Like you, you just don't see Tom Cruise that way anymore. You it's know? true. He went to some sort of steroidal, yeah, Bonzian place after this. Yes, and I think that. I, I also wonder whether or not, because we were talking a little bit about the movies of 96, and what I really remember about that era is the way in which 
Hollywood studios and specifically blockbuster producers seemed to realize that there was a market inefficiency in not casting stars in blockbusters. Mm. If people cared, if you said, hey, Twister's about a tornado, do you care if Bill Paxton and Helen Hunter are in it or if Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are in it? And that was bad for guys like Tom Cruise because it started to be that these higher concept movies didn't really need him. And that was fine because he was still making movies with Spielberg and making movies with Cameron Crowe and Paul Thomas Anderson and making these interesting films. But I think that that pivot away from like, you need a star to sell this thing, man. And it was now like, oh, actually, if we have aliens invading the earth, Bill Pullman can be the second most famous person in this movie. Well, I think he's I think he's managed the transition to IP filmmaking pretty well. Uh, But I think that's a great point. Like, do you need like, do you need do you need a Tom Cruise anymore? Do you really need a Tom Cruise anymore? Is he the last guy that is like the mega star? He and Paula Wagner made a very savvy choice by choosing this one mm. because at this time, I think, you know, it's it's around the time of Goldeneye and, and Brosnan who had some success as Bond. But Bond was sort of reaching an expiration and we needed a cool new spy character. Yeah. yeah. So and the fact that it has sustained, you know, like he has made other efforts towards IP filmmaking. He makes War of the Worlds with Steven Spielberg. He makes The Mummy in 2017. Those movies are fine. They're never going to go on his Hall of, F- Hall of Fame plaque. The Mission Impossible movies do. I mean, they're, yeah. in many ways for the generation right beneath us, that's who Tom Cruise is. It's very true. He's I mean, Ethan Hunt. And the flip side of this is this is a big IP movie. That's the, the, the brand is huge extremely well-known. They tried to hand it off to Renner, and it didn't work. So you really do need Tom Cruise. Well, it's a complicated history, and we can talk more about this. We want to get into the awards, but I I think that it's important to note that this came out. It was very successful, but I think it had... It obviously was a troubled production, and then they decided to make this, like, a new director does the the next one, and we'll get their specific spin. And Wu came through and did the second one, and when did that come out? I believe it was 2000, four years after. And two years later... Born pretty much wipes this one out. Like yeah. Born wipes out Mission Impossible because everybody is like not only is Born like an exciting movie, it's yes. like way cooler and feels way more real. Yeah. And that kind of like blocked <clears throat> out the sun. Even though Mission Impossible 3 I have a lot of time for, it took a while for this franchise to find its footing again. Yeah, and 6 years go by between 2 and 3. I yeah, mean, that's, that's a long time. Yeah. Imagine waiting we don't even wait 6 years for Bond movies. Imagine waiting 6 years for a Marvel movie. I mean, that's an extended period of time. Now, actually something I noticed is it's compressing the amount of time that goes by between these films now. So the time between three and Ghost Protocol was mm. five years. The time between Ghost uh, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation was four years. And the time between Rogue Nation and Fallout is three years. It's interesting to bring up Bourne in the context of this because I think the two biggest influences on Mission Impossible are Bourne and The Fast and the Furious. It's like they the took— The new versions, the, the, the newer— they took, yeah. they took those two things and they combined them. Give me that uh, nitty-gritty— hand-to-hand combat stuff, which obviously born the Bourne uh, yeah, franchise yeah. really elevated to like an art form of this kind of like improvised, I'll pick up a pair of sunglasses and stab you in the eye with it kind of thing. And then give me the absolutely over-the-top action sequence. The car the, flying through a skyscraper or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And it seems like those are the two poles uh, of the Mission Impossible franchise as it exists today. All right. Before we get into the awards, I just want to find wh- where does Mission Impossible 1 rank for you guys in terms of the Mission Impossible movies. Jason, what's, where does it sit for you? I think number one. It's number one for me, too. Yeah. It's number one for me, too. Three it's, is up there. Yeah. 
Uh, let's and, talk after you've seen six. Okay, we'll talk. We'll talk after six. We'll just redo this yes, entire. I pod. can't wait to do it. All right, let's get into the awards. But first, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Freshly. Tired of spending hours on dinner or trying to master those meal kits? Freshly is the new way to get a dinner on the table in no time. Their chefs cook and deliver delicious, freshly prepared meals so that you can eat healthier without any of the work. Each meal is made to order just for you, and with a rotating weekly menu of more than 30 options, there's always something new to try. Better yet, Freshly chefs and nutritionists make sure that every meal is all natural, nutritious, and made with high-quality ingredients. So you can come home late and still have delicious chef-cooked meals waiting for you. I personally love the Sicilian-style chicken parm with broccoli. Freshly does a take on chicken parm that's really interesting. They use almond flour for the breading, so it's low-carb, and it comes with a side of broccoli, so you feel super light and healthy after eating it. Order Freshly today and see what it's like to put zero effort into making dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash rewatchables to get $20 off your first six dinners. That's $20 off plus free shipping at Freshly.com slash rewatchables. All right, guys, let's do the awards. We do this for every Watchables pod. This one, usually these pod, these movies are so beloved, I think, and, and we hold them in such high regard that we kind of skip past things like nitpicks or what's age the worst or um, unintentional economy, comedy or unanswerable question. I have a feeling those will get a little bit more in- attention just because this film is very much of a time and there's some very interesting choices made in it. Mm. But let's start with, a, with the positives, obviously, and let's do most rewatchable scene. Oh, I have a couple of nominees. There aren't a lot of scenes in this movie, so <laughs> it's actually quite easy. Now, I'm cheating here, and I'm going to say the Prague sequence. But I'm doing that specifically because that is presented as a 32-minute opening act. It yeah. even has a fade to black after... Tom Cruise jumps through Aquarium or Aquarium, obviously, and escapes from uh, Kitridge. But I'm going to just say the Prague sequence as a whole, although there are obviously many parts inside of the Prague sequence yeah. that you could you could point out. Another one is Ethan and Max's negotiation. Incredible. The Langley heist. Um, and the uh, Phelps versus Hunt coffee, where Hunt is seeing what Phelps has done while Phelps is lying to him. That's the scene basically that confused a generation of of filmgoers. Yes. I don't think I understood that until I watched it yesterday. And I've seen this movie like 20 times. It's funny. This comes up a lot on the rewatchables, like movies that we thought we got but we didn't get. Oh, yeah. And now we have trained ourselves to figure out. Yeah. Hmm. This isn't a tricky one. I think the most iconic, as we mentioned earlier, is the Langley break-in, yeah. which is really incredibly staged and has been ripped off numerous times. And also, I think, probably set the precedent for Tom Cruise trying something that seems impossible, yeah. even though Wu takes it to another level. But the scene that I liked watching the best, and I rewound it four times, because I love crazed, loud Tom Cruise, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is when he gets on the horn with Kittredge. Absolutely. And, and he says, they're dead. And Kittredge says, what? Yeah. Who's dead? And he says, my team. My team is dead! This is Ethan Hunt. They're dead. Who's dead? My team. My team is dead! Galitzin's gone. They knew we were coming, man. They knew we were coming, and the disc is gone. Are you intact? The disc is gone. Did you, do you read me? The list is in the open! Listen, I read you. They knew, man! <laughs> 
He goes Ruffalo in this scene before Ruffalo so, even knew. So Ruffalo. He's just like, they knew, man. They knew we were coming. He's like fucking Bill Paxton and aliens in this it's scene. incredible. Do you read me? The list is in the open. <laughs> that whole segment is so crazy. He seems out of his mind, but it's very entertaining. That's a great bookend to their meaning at, at, at Agvarium because, you know, up until that point, that's the cruise we've seen. Loud and brash. He's cracking jokes when when John Voight is talking about the plan. And then you get him in, in the restaurant and you realize, oh, he sees everything. Actually, he sees it. He's very cerebral. What about this other team? What about this guy over here? What about the waiters and the two people, the lovers on the banks of the river? Uh, those two things together is just a great contrast, those two scenes. For me, it's I think it is the Langley Heist. I, the like, Langley Heist. It's just, it's iconic, almost all in silence, which is an incredible choice. There's so many moments of tension when Don Lowe is about to come back and he's not going to come back. And Shout just, out know. to Don Lowe, man. <laughs> And then, and then working, you know, like, uh, it reminds me, my favorite heist movie is Rafifi, which has a heist uh, portion where they, very similar, they drill through the roof and it's all in silence because there's a there's a, a, an alarm that is triggered by sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and to use that here with the, with the great visual of the digital uh, meter that goes up and down and goes in third, one, two, red, toast, toast, toast. Toast. So good. Yeah. Uh, and had me on the edge of my seat. Every time I rewatch it, I'm like... Man, this is just some great bits too, imperial. like the rat in the air, yeah. air duct in Langley, like a little bit of like the departed final shot where it's just like the the idea that you're hunting for this rat that's yep. like betrayed you. Um, you know, I think that the, I think Top Copy is another heist movie right, that, where, they, they, where they, they go on they a, reference on a rope. same filmmaker, yeah, yeah. Jules Dassin, Jules Dassin, yeah. Yeah, the Langley thing also has one of my favorite heist movie tropes, which is the guy explaining the heist before they do it. Yeah. He's like, you're going to go down the elevators. I love that. And then inevitably it ends with, like, you're crazy. And he's like, yeah, crazy enough to do it. Right. There's a lot of really good se- moments in between um, Jean Renault, Ving Rhames, Emmanuel Bayard, and, uh, and Cruz on the train when they're discussing how they're going to do that. Those thinking machines. Yeah, and he has this Cheshire cat grin where he's explaining the yeah. heist and he's just like, it's even worse than you think. Yeah. You know, there's something so fun about that. Also, the idea, I think that was the first time I've ever, uh, I ever encountered the idea of an air-gapped computer. A computer that was actually not connected to the internet for security reasons. Yes. I'd never heard of that before. And now, obviously, you read the news and that's an actual thing that people do. Um, okay, so we'll go Langley gets the best, most rewatchable scene. What's aged the best? Hmm. Wow. So I have a couple of nominees, but this is tough because I think Mission Impossible is in a race against time. As our digital life expands and changes and we become so used to things, there are some things, weirdly, it was prescient about, if unrealistic about, such as wireless streaming video. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Crystal clear wireless streaming video. But there are some things that obviously... uh, don't you know? Don't make sense anymore. Netscape, I mean, yeah, like Netscape. We'll get into that. <laughs> but I like the. Um, I th- said, "What age the best?" The Hitchcockian vibe. Uh, mm. It's a classic to to draw so heavily from the classic Hitchcock films of the fifties and sixties, and to employ them in an espionage movie, um, especially in the Prague sequence. And I think that that really does does still stand the test of time. The other things that I have here are um, just the cat and mouse format of the set pieces rather than having smash, bang, building, falling down on you stuff. It's more about like ducking in and out of 
hall, uh, rooms and putting on masks and yeah. wearing disguises and hanging from places. And then the final one would be Cruz's performance. But I'm open to other recommendations here. Oh, man. I think that this is one of the first movies that really made an effort to cast great actors in the supporting roles. And that's something that really holds up. You know, Jason, you were saying, like, you don't have to always just have, like, stars in these roles. But Voight at this the right stage of his career to be Phelps. And obviously Phelps is a character from the original television series and the sort of bridging those two things. Manuel Baer, who is an actress that not a lot of American filmgoers had seen before. It's yeah. very good. Jean Renault, very similarly, coming off of Leon the Professional. The professional yeah. And kind of what he, what he represents in our mind and the kind of, like, dickishness that he has in this yeah. movie – Ving Rhames obviously becomes essentially the only other yes. connecting figure yes. in the wider MI universe. It was like, I guess, Monaghan, too, eventually. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and also, I mean, Kristen Scott Thomas, if for a yeah. very brief moment, yes. and a star. Yeah. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave and Emilio Estevez and all of these great actors. And Henry Zerny, shout out to him, back in Sharp Objects. Um, every single character who has speak- a speaking part feels very lived in and feels like they're really like going for it. They know what movie they're in. Yeah, especially. And I think that there's a there's a bittersweet part to the prog sequence because I kind of wouldn't mind of seeing two or three movies of the Emilio Estevez, Kristen Scott Thomas, Tom Cruise team. And they kind of set it up like Alien where they're like, oh, these people like actually know each other and get along and are busting each other's chops. And it's like, oh, don't make fun of my wife's coffee. And that was just like that barn in Kiev. and, And they're kind of like. They're really getting along. And then the sort of undiscovered country of this entire movie is that scene when uh, Cruz and Kristen Scott Thomas are tracking uh, the arms mm. the arms dealer, the guy who's going to steal the knock list and sell it to Max. And uh, they have to, like, make out yeah. while they're watching. And they have, like, kind of legitimately good chemistry. Not as good chemistry as Cruz winds up having with Vanessa Redgrave, mind you, but they have, like, legitimately good chemistry, and she's an incredible scene partner for him. And it it is kind of bittersweet. It's a great, great twist to happen 35 minutes into a movie where you're like, okay, this is who's in the movie. These are movie stars, too. I've seen Kristen Scott Thomas as an English patient. and Love Estevez and and Mighty Ducks. And they all just go. Again, it's completely Hitchcockian. It's killing Janet Leigh after 40 minutes of Psycho. That's what it is. It's genius. And Estevez has what is one of my favorite lines in the movie, Asta lasagna, don't get any on you, (laughs) when... Showing crews how to use the chewing gum explosive. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's that also, great stuff. And so, you know, there's so many little things that stick out to me too. Red light, green light. Yeah, uh, Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. Yeah, the, like there's a very specific town, Robert Town style dialogue sprinkled throughout the movie. You can feel almost like who did what, right? So David Kep is this genius of um, pl- action sequence plotting. And Steve Zalian is this genius of dramatic storytelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Robert Town is the king of memorable lines. Yeah. And they all do all three of those things well. But when you put all those commensurate parts plus Tom Cruise movie starring together, you get like all of these memorable moments that just kind of like ping in the back of your mind over and over and over again. Absolutely. This movie is one of those. Yeah. I love the vi- – I just love uh, De Palma's visual flair that, like I said, under control in this movie. There's the one scene where uh, – where, um, and Don Lowe is basically about to get sent to Siberia. And so <laughs> yeah. uh, Henry Zerny's CIA character is is like dressing him down. And then but he's in the foreground and they're in the background and both are in focus. And that's like the kind of stuff 
movies, especially summer blockbusters, just visually all look the same now. And this is a movie that really has a style. When you see it, it just has a look that is charismatic. It's rare to see something that's this stylish and also this fun. Typically, you get a Villeneuve movie and you're like, oh, man. Wow. This is so mind-blowing. But, like, you never laugh once during the entire movie. I don't think I've laughed in, like, Five Denis Villeneuve movies. Wow, that's your guy too. I love. He's my favorite working filmmaker, but I don't go to him to like be like elated, you know. Mm-hmm. And the, and De Palma has a very playful style, so let's go with that for what's aged the best. The default De Palma visual style. I'm psyched. First, let me before we do what aged the worst. Let's just break here to do casting what ifs because there actually aren't that many. This was a movie that was put together largely by Cruz and Wagner. It seems like they just moved forward with what they wanted. The big ones were that Juliette Binoche turned down the role of Claire because she didn't want to be known for blockbusters. Weird, weird take from Juliette. That Binoche. largely worked out for her, uh, I think. You know, uh, I think it would have been a fascinating idea for Juliette Binoche and Kristen Scott Thomas to star in two different extremely well-seen yes. movies yes. in 1996. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is the same year as The English Patient, and that would have just been a funny coincidence. Peter Graves and Martin Landau from the original series uh, both turned down opportunities to be in the movie after reading the script. They did not like the directions it was going. Peter Graves specifically did not care for Jim Phelps being the villain, and Martin Landau thought it was getting away from what made the show good. I mm. imagine... I wonder if their roles were perhaps not as big as they wanted. I don't know. Martin Landau feeling himself after that Oscar in 94. I don't have a lot of casting what ifs based on rumors of who would be cast at the time. But I do want to talk a little bit about Claire. Not it's not necessary that Claire was supposed to be European at the Mm time. So I think we can have a little bit of fun with this. And I've always kind of missed out ever since A Few Good Men on Cruz doing another movie with Demi Moore. And I thought Mm. she would make a good Claire. And I, I kind of wonder what the vibe is of this movie. So there were sex scenes written into the movie of Claire and, and Ethan that were taken out. There's actually a kiss in the trailer that they don't wow. ever have. There's a lot of grabbing and handsiness between the two of them. And there's an yeah. intimacy to them, obviously. I think it's almost implied that they've Yeah, when he's patting the night her down, together. right, and when she shows up. But there's not a lot of chemistry. And I kind of wonder what it would have hmm. been like if there, if, if there had been a different actress in in the role it's an interesting question 96 also a interesting year for demi moore right uh that's the year of striptease and that's a bit of a left turn i think if someone like her had been in a role like that i think it's ultimately a very underwritten part which is part of why it doesn't work as well it's probably one of the weakest aspects of the movie and you know she's meant to be this kind of russian doll for jim's motivations and the way that she's used in the story that part is also quite hitchcockian but I don't know. With a different kind of actress, I wonder if it would have been a better part. Who else is in the? It's like, would you have bought it if it was like, I don't know, Susan Sarandon or something? I mean, who else in that yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, wow. it's tough. Yeah, Demi Moore is tough for me because I think that's just a much more. I think of of a more visceral part when I'm thinking of Demi Moore, whereas um, this Claire had a sphinx-like quality that I think, even though it's absolutely an underwritten part kind of serviced what the overarching She could become narrative. a femme fatale at a yes. certain point, yeah. Whereas if, you know, if you see Demi Moore, you're like, something's going to happen, there's going to be a fight scene, maybe there's, I, you, you'd be looking for some kind of left turn with her. Yeah, okay, so may, maybe I'm off. Maybe Emmanuel Bayer is, is right for that then. Do you think Max was always a woman? Wow. Because I that's one of the great reveals of the movie, obviously, yeah. when we meet Vanessa Redgrave. But, also takes the movie to a completely other level. Yes, and this will be a good opportunity for you guys to talk about the psychosexuality of Tom Incredible Cruise. Stuff. So, 
we can do Dion Waiters here. Okay. And let's talk about let's do the Dion Waiters Heat Check Award. This is for supporting character actors in the movie that really make the most of their time. Vanessa Redgrave is 59 or 60 in this movie, I believe. She was born in 1937. The movie comes out in 60 in 96. Um, obviously is one of the great actresses of the 20th century uh, and is regarded as such. And here she is in this blockbuster playing an arms dealer named Max who communicates via Usenet group. And uh, I would argue that she has more sexual chemistry than anyone else yes. in the history of Tom Cruise movies with the exception of Kelly McGillis. Yeah, she she looks at him like he's a steak. <laughs> uh, and chews over every line of dialogue that she addresses him, calls him dear boy. And it's, it is incredible. And it's actually a thing that I didn't appreciate until, like, recently. Mm-hmm. Like, I, the first time I saw it, it just seemed like that's people talking. Um, and to watch it now, it is really, she's, really she remarkable. Like she's been taking nitrous hits, it's like, inc- the entire time. It is remarkable. I mean, she's, she smiles like a shark when he comes into the room. That whole scene with him with the, uh, the shroud... <laughs> And it's like, well, you know, if she, Max doesn't like what you have to say, you'll, you'll be, be wearing, wearing a shroud this. indefinitely. And he's kind of looking around with yeah. this with this knit hat pulled over his face. What did you think of this scene? It's so deliriously weird, the, like, energy and tension between the two of them. Who are you and what are you doing here? I need $150,000. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> and you thought, if you simply showed up, I might give it to you. <laughs> Why not? You gave Job 125. Mm, the penny drops. You are not Job. I had a couple of thoughts. I agree with you that there is something sparking between them. And when the, the shroud comes off and she says, who are you and what are you doing here? Yeah. That obviously... She, as I said before, like really knows what movie she's in mm-hmm. and she knows to have fun. It does reveal – I don't know if it's a flaw or a nitpick and I know we'll get to that. But every villain in the Mission Impossible series, I just don't really know what the hell they're after. Like, mm. And this movie has kind of two villain, villains. Right. It's Phelps and, and Max. And the, the whole concept of conquering the world or like arms dealing has always been a bit elusive to me as the crux of a movie. It doesn't really matter for this movie to work at all. But I don't fully understand, like, what Max and Phelps have going on there. Are they just trying to shift money around? Is that what she's doing? Yeah, I think that he – I mean, when you artic- when Phelps articulates it back to Ethan and he's supposed to be talking about Kitridge and he's just like, I'm a, I'm a tool for a war that isn't going on anymore and I realize, like – I'm being farmed out and I make $60,000 a year. So it's basically like this bitterness of loss of use and probably feeling like the world left him behind. Isn't it so weird that this is also the same year that The Rock came out and that's the same line that Ed Harris has at the end of The Rock? So what was in the air in this sort of post-desert storm time in American history where – you know, military folk are are distressed by the way that they've been used by their government. It's the Fukuyama end of history thing. Uh, I mean, right. the wall came down and everybody was like, hey, it's over, guys. That's it. <laughs> it's done. And they're like, wait a second. Not only have I been like, like this is my career, but like you got, I got fat off the land. Yeah. You know, worrying about this stuff. And now I'm just supposed to be a consultant or something. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Redgrave, I, what you guys are saying is true. She's fucking awesome. So yeah. some of the other Dion Waiters award and the, the, you could basically just run down through the entire cast list. But I've got Henry Zerny, who 
Same really guy. Same guy in all these did movies. Did not but pop great. off after Mission yeah. Impossible, but was I his performance I think fell over the top when I first saw this movie and is now excellent. I love yes. him in this movie. His interplay with Barnes is very funny. Dale, think, Di- Dale Dye, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy all of those segments, the way he kind of like muscles and bullies him throughout the movie. Also, like the weird choices where like when he's when the when the pursuit of hunt starts, he dresses like a G-man from the 30s. He's got yeah. like the overcoat and the fedora. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense, really. He really got a lot of mileage out of that, like a uh, bureaucrat who's uh, a dick. Yeah. Like after Clear and Present Danger, which is to me the iconic Henry Zerny performance, like <laughs> he has managed to make a career through at the 90s of like that guy, the kind of like office infighter who's very good at it. Um, the, we also have uh, Emilio Estevez, obviously, um, you know, coming off of Young Guns. It seemed like he was just doing a like a fun bit for for like as a cameo, but kind of like never showed up in a blockbuster movie again. Yeah. Like when was the last time that he was in a in a in a movie like this where he's a member of a cast? It's like uh, I guess Young Guns, but he was the star of that movie. Yeah. And then it's like, what, The Outsiders? Like, this is, it's just really, uh, that Tom Cruise was also in, so that's actually very interesting. Depends on how strongly you feel about The Mighty Ducks and Ah, the concept of The Mighty Ducks being a great ensemble performance. Yeah, but he kind of disappeared from the scene. Yes. Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, we've talked about. I thought she was remarkable in this movie. And John Voight, who I think is is a little bit too much minutes played for the, uh, (laughs) for the, the Dion Waiters Award, but, it's wild because, like, if you watch him in this movie, you don't know he's in, like, Coming Home and is, like, this 70s, iconic 70s actor. It's he's sort of strange. in Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, yeah. He's Jim exactly. Phelps. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, any other nominees or any choices for this one? Oof. I mean, I think you got to give put a little respect on Ving Rhames' name. Yeah. You know, Luther becomes weirdly such a big part. He becomes Ethan's conscience throughout this whole series. And there is something, I think, unique about saying, like, Ving Rhames, who is this burly, imposing Marcellus Wallace figure, being the hacker, you know, being yeah. the guy who is the smartest guy in the room, who knows how, who knows the lay of the land on everything. Like that was a that was a smart choice, and like it holds through. They introduce Simon Pegg to be that guy a little yeah. bit um, as the series goes on, but I don't know. He's he's just routinely entertaining in these movies. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Redgrave. I also shouts to Jean Renault, who is in the midst <laughs> of a unbelievable volcanic hot streak at this time, from yeah. the professional to this. To Ronan, just like he's great in Ronan, unbelievable. Basically, in Ronan. the exact same role he plays yes. in Mission Impossible, he plays in Ronan, except like, a much more gregarious, like uh, weather-beaten. Isn't this a shame? What's happening to us? But also, like, yeah, I like he gets this to guy. play the Ving Rhames in yeah. Ronan, yeah, and Sean Bean is the Jean Renault in yeah. in Ronan. Once again, you've tried to erase a film from 1985 called French Kiss, starring <laughs> Kevin Klein and Meg Ryan, in which Jean Reno appears as Inspector Jean-Paul Cardon. Wow. Oh. Okay. Uh, we're going Redgrave on this one. Um, this is going to be this is gonna be a good one. What is age the worst? Ew. Here's some nominees. Ethan typing internet access into a computer. <laughs> That's honestly how we thought it worked at the time. Is it? The Netscape browser that IMF uses to watch news clips, floppy disks, the insanely attention-drawing surveillance eyewear worn by Hannah and Sarah during the Prague surveillance scene, uh, the masks, I fucking hate masks, yeah. and just just the whole the Claire plotline. I, I take issue with the masks. 
Yeah, the masks is they're not believable. They no, don't no, have no, no, rules. No, no. no. Oh, I, I I you guys are wrong. That's my oh, take. Oh wow. Hey, here's why. These movies need to have something preposterous about them. <laughs> and mission accomplished. It was supposed to be the stunts yeah, and yeah. the the helicopter blade and hanging from a cliff. The masks are the thing that are like this is a movie. Like yeah. accept it as a movie. And it gets right. a little bit more complicated as the series goes on where you have these voice strips and yeah, they're yeah. changing the vocal tones of all the characters. But the masks are Mission Impossible. I mean, that is from the TV show. That is the legacy That's true. of the series. Now, are they silly? It's yes. not that they're silly. It's that I don't – you can basically skip to the bank if you use the masks right. Half of this movie doesn't need to happen with the good ap- application of masks. Why not just put a mask on as Don Lowe, walk into the office, steal the knock list, and walk out? Answer me this right now. Are you really Andy Greenwald wearing a mask? (laughs) My issue with the mask is, especially the senator mask that Tom Cruise wears, uh, Ethan Hunt wears, is just that, one, it's not believable, and I get that it's (laughs) preposterous. The other thing is, ostensibly, he's been impersonating a sitting U.S. senator for an untold amount of time? Yeah. Like, going and doing interviews? Like He's basically Jesse Helms. Right. Does yeah. this man no, exist? No, Walter's a Democrat. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> First of all, does this senator... He's Ted Kennedy. Does this senator actually exist? One, is he Tom Cruise all the time? Like, he ran no, for No, I think he exists, and I think he's, like, an adversary of... <laughs> like, no. I don't understand. No, I love that exists. theory, though, that this... Tom Cruise this is senator also is a senator? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, how often is Tom Cruise this guy? And they take him on quote unquote fishing trips. Sure. And while he's like in County Kildare fly fishing, they use him to get into embassies but and do all sorts of but shit like that. But he's not like, wait, I didn't do that hit on, on firing him? <laughs> I'm going with your angle, which is that like, this is an entirely invented human <laughs> who was elected to high office. And he's ultimately only been played also, by Tom let Cruise. let me just point out, this: the political landscape, <laughs> while I know that there was like all the Clinton stuff would happen and everything, or it was happening, the political landscape was different. In 96, I was like 19 sure. or like however old I was. If you just told me like, yeah, that guy's a senator, I'd be like, sounds good. <laughs> I didn't know every senator you know, in the world. That is like, very you know, true. And back then, if it was like, oh, yeah, it's like old Senator Walter, yeah. I'd be like, sure, sure. whatever. Why is not? that the you guy who put it. a fucking parental advisory sticker <laughs> on my NWA record? It was not like a thing where you were like, very true. vote blue. Did you like hold yeah, your senator yeah. accountable? Nobody fucking knew that. Like nobody it's knew how to even get in touch true. with these people. I think between this and you outlining Quint's campaign in Amity for the Jaws rewatchables, we should have some sort of political category here. Um, all right. We're, I want, we'll, we'll say that so that there's what, – what do you think is age the worst ultimately? Is it, it the, the computer stuff? I, uh, are you talking to me? Yeah. I, think I, I think it's the masks. The computer stuff tech, I feel like you have to grade on a curve anytime you see a movie because it changes so much. It is, but it is really um, because yeah. the movie meant to be so forward-looking and so yeah. technocratic. Um, it do, it does it does seem pretty bad when like a floppy disk is bust out or like very simple stuff like when they go into the Langley Chamber and the computer screen comes back on and it just says like download or upload complete. Yeah. There's or a lot like, of like uh, like when 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 Luther 
hacks into Max's computer on the uh, the TVG train, and he's just like, it's literally typing in like, stop the communication of the computer next yeah. to me and download it to my computer instead. <laughs> it's like, it's not exactly typing in basic. We'll go with uh, we'll go with masks. Fist bump that. Let's do it. Bang. All right, guys, we'll get to the rest of the awards, but first a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by AMC Networks' Shudder, the premium streaming video service from AMC Networks. Dubbed the Netflix of horror, Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment with new spine-tingling suspense and shocking horrors added weekly. Stream exclusive and original film series horror classics and blockbuster hits ad-free all on your favorite devices, including iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and Android. All for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 a year. I've been using Shudder for a while because I'm a huge horror movie fan. It's really great because you can find stuff that you can either revisit things that you already love, which is sort of one of the key points of the rewatchables, or you can discover new stuff all the time. They have exclusive titles like Kuzo, Mayhem, Downrange, Cold Hell, Stillborn. The list goes on and on. I'm going to check out 31, this 2016 movie by Rob Zombie this weekend. Try Shudder for 30 days. Go to Shudder.com slash podcast and use promo code rewatchables. That's Shudder, S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com slash podcast and use the promo code rewatchables for a free 30-day trial. All right, we're back. Rewatchables, Mission Impossible, last few awards here. Just before we get into that, some half-assed internet research corner. Mm. Uh, Willard Huck, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, and Gloria Katz's original script reportedly opened with members of the original IMF team, including Peter Graves, on a mission with their youngest member played by Cruz. They were all to be killed, and that would leave Cruz behind to solve the you know who who the, the mystery of who killed the, his his original team. I wonder if that was also one of the reasons why some of the older stars did not want to reappear in the movie. Graves out. Um, Apple was almost bankrupt at the time of the movie being released. People forget and, that. And um, they attempted to like basically get cool again by having a corporate tie-in with with Mission Impossible, and that the PowerBook laptops. Um, we're in every single, like, we're basically in all of these movies around this time, but especially with Mission Impossible. They also set up a early website promotional tie-in called the Mission Impossible Web Adventure. Wow. That was basically like a game you could play. They sunk like $15 million into this whole thing, but uh, things worked out for Apple, so congrats to them. Um, like I said before, the Langley Heist is an homage to the Jules Dassin classics of uh Top Copy and uh, Rafifi. And some people think that Ethan Hunt's name is a sly tribute to Howard Hunt, the former CIA spy who oh, was involved in the Watergate break in. Interesting. Ethan Hunt is such a perfect name for a character. It's really good. It's so anonymous for yeah. some reason. Yeah. But let's, it's fun to say. Let's do unintentional comedy. Uh, when he goes back to his room yeah, is- <laughs> and starts researching the internet after saying internet on his computer, Ethan Hunt is scrolling through these Usenet groups. And he closes his eyes. He starts, like, he just starts, like, okay, I'm going to start scrolling through these Usenet groups to try and find out, you know, how Max is communicating through the internet. And he closes his eyes through this whole part, and it's not a big deal, but he misses the whole letter A, which would have been arms dealing. So if there had been a message board for arms dealing, Ethan Hunt would have just been missing it. Uh, at one point, Ethan says to Luther, what did they used to call you? The Net Ranger? 
And maybe my favorite piece of unintentional comedy is uh, Senator John Walzer, Democrat of Virginia, appearing on the McLaughlin Group. And them being able to watch the McLaughlin Group in crystal clear video (laughs) in a hotel room in Prague. That, wow. wow, that's a great catch. Yeah. That's that's pretty bad. Um, man. Usenet groups, remember those? I, I do. Wow. <laughs> yeah, all the internet tech stuff is just, you just got to accept it. Yes. Were you, said, were you ever on a Usenet group like yes. back in ninety the mid-90s? Yes, I was on the Fish Usenet group, which okay. I believe, uh, I'm sure people will correct me on this if I'm wrong, I believe it was one of the first use, actual Usenet groups for like a musical act. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I was on like an I remember I was on one of those email list serves. That was like the first internet experience yeah. I truly had after having like Prodigy or whatever. And I was on this like pa- this listserv for pavement. And I would send <laughs> the band pavement. And I would like it would just be like your fa- just people talking about pavement in this listserv all day long. Is this meant to be a confessional portion of the uh, <laughs> I'm the just podcast? trying to verify that this was in fact how people communicated on the internet. So it's not surprising that arms deals took place in biblical <laughs> Usenet groups. I don't think I had an experience on the internet beyond the walls of AOL in nineteen ninety six. Mm. I think I was strictly existing in AOL. Has anyone ever tried to email uh, Max at Job314? Give it a shot. That's yeah. the other thing that I— <laughs> My computer will explode that, if I do that. That also—I um, don't know. The ease with which he accesses Job or, yeah. or, or Max, I oh, guess, yeah. as Job um, seems unlikely. He sends, sends like six emails. <laughs> yeah. Passes out, wakes up, gets <laughs> right. an email back. Yeah. I don't know. We There's can some, pick some nits about Some trickiness that. there, yeah. Any other unintentional comedy moments? Uh, well, I'm going to kind of roll— your last bullet point into unanswerable questions is so Senator John Walzer in that <laughs> McLaughlin group interview. Is that the actual senator or is Here's that Ethan think. Hunt as the senator? I that's the thing that I don't understand. I think it's really Walzer, but Walzer <laughs> is actually an IMF agent. Okay, and that oh, and that wow. Walzer's whole oh, bit is to be very skeptical of the intelligence community, but in fact, that is just like a sim, like a simulation of like dissent. I like and in this. fact, he is an IMF agent and allows them to use his identity to conduct international espionage. So here are the three potentialities around Senator Walzer. Yeah. Senator John Walzer. He is a senator. <laughs> yes. Elected. Sure. A human man. Who yes. likes fishing who, and will who just willingly fish, go on vacation. Right. Does not have is not a member of a Usenet group, so he's not aware of <laughs> right. say his attendance of a prog game. Not on alt.fish, right. alt.bible, <laughs> not or alt.arms. No. Just dealing. a blue dog Democrat from Virginia. Yes. Right. Or he is a co-opted intelligence officer yes. <laughs> working for IMF while also serving you the are good correct, people sir. of what state? Virginia. 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 Or he is a completely <laughs> constructed 65-year-old human American citizen played entirely by yes. Tom Cruise yes. when necessary for the IMF group. Yes, all for 60 grand a year. Follow-up, <laughs> would you watch a movie Set in 1996, about a U.S. senator, play, like an old man, yes. played by Tom Cruise now. <laughs> what if? Why isn't Cruise going back to the Walzer IP? <laughs> why were we so praiseworthy of Tom Cruise's performance, his transformation in Tropic Thunder, yes. right. when we should have been praising his role, role as John Walzer? That's a great question. Thank you. Here are some more unanswerable, unintentional comedy we're going to go with... Uh, uh, Net Ranger, because he says it so sincerely. He's like, yeah. "You were the Net Ranger, right? 
It's so funny. Uh, unanswerable questions. If Ethan Hunt can make a mask of basically anyone's face, why couldn't he just make a mask of William Donlow who worked inside of the vault and steal the disc? That way I asked that question before I did not get a satisfactory answer. I don't have one. Okay. Yeah, I don't have one either. Was John Voight really in any shape to be traipsing across a high-speed train? I thought this when I was re-watching it. He does look great when he shows up like in that parachute suit. Yes. He looks fitter than I think I've ever seen him in any movie. He just, he looks good. I don't know if that's, they put his face on somebody else or how much was a stunt guy, but he looked pretty fit. I would say Eileen, no, but he did look pretty great in that suit. I think also when he, when it's revealed that he is ultimately the villain and he comes out on the train from behind the news and says, you remember Ethan Hunt, right, honey? Uh, He's wearing that, that outfit, that sort of like black uh, SWAT yeah, like I'm yeah, uniform. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, so is he lying when he's in the coffee shop and he's pretending to be he's hurt? Pretending to be hurt. Yes. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, but when he does that, I agree. He he's sort of almost virile. Yeah, he you know? looked, And when he when he um, strikes Ethan, yeah. does he like elbow him or yes. something? He like there's there's a kind of a weird intense old physical energy. Yeah, right, it exactly. is a bit of old man strength. <laughs> um, picking nits. I don't didn't quite understand why Jim had to shoot Claire right first. Shoot her first. Makes no sense. That makes no sense. She doesn't even really say anything. She's just like, Jim, are you sure we have to kill Ethan? And he's like, yeah, we do. And then she's like, Jim, don't. And he guns her down on a high-speed train. Makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. Weird Cancel cho- the podcast. <laughs> Weird choice from my guy. Do you think Emmanuel Bayard was just like, I am not coming back for these movies and was just like, feel free to take me out? Or do you think that it needed to be like, in case you didn't know Phelps was a really bad guy? Maybe they're like, he's deranged. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously he's evil, but it is really confusing. It, extremely. Also, Jim and Claire in general, their relationship confounds me. Yes. Yes. She, he basically like, a, a, upon reuniting with her. Yeah immediately, like, trashes her to Ethan Hunt, where he's like, you've tasted the goods. Right. Which was like, that's not necessary, man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) if anything, he's been, like, a perfect gentleman other than, like, the magic trick he played where he's, like, like, kind of, like, going, getting all handsy. But, like, that seemed like a weird turn where he's just, like, and take my whore wife with you. It's almost like Brian De Palma has a problem with sexual politics. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. Uh, Any other picking nits you guys have? Hmm... Man, you really you threw me for a loop with the with the Claire thing, her getting shot first. Yeah, I, I noticed it when I was rewatching it too. Beyond that, I don't know what what's what's John Renault's end game here. What's his name? Krieger. Yeah. Krieger. Well, I think he's just like live by the black market, die by the black right. market. Let's okay. make let's make some cash. Let's get money. Right. Right. Okay. Cut out the middleman. Another picking it. What really happens at the end when Kittredge is like, we can work out a deal, international arms dealer, to Max. Mm, maybe she has more information that they can use. Oh, she's like, yeah. I must have something you need. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because they just, it, that happens and then Ethan's back like on the, in the mix and what's that's the, it. What's the science on, um, and maybe we're leaning into picking nits here, but like what's the science on um, helicopter and train tunnel? I think it's very tough to do well, that. Jean okay. Renault does say <laughs> I could fly a helicopter into the lobby of Fort Knox. Uh-huh. So he is, he's in the mix there. You know what I mean? He's saying he could do that. Where did he learn to do that? Like in hell, hell, hell school? Yeah. <laughs> It seems very tough, yeah, especially when practice the, that. Especially when the when the other train comes the yes. other way. Oh, it's that, just seems yeah, inc- they, they fully cut away. <laughs> yes. It's like a hard close up on Ethan's face when that happens because that is illogical. Right. Uh, let's go to best uh, best quote here. Sean has already pointed out. Do you read me? The list is in the open. I could do that all day long. I love it. Uh, Kittredge, this is a bar from Robert Town. I'm guessing it's Robert Town. Yeah. David Kep, get at me. 
Dying slowly in America, after all, can be a very expensive proposition. That's like a New York yeah. Times Magazine feature in Precious. a line of dialogue. You've never seen me very upset. It's Ethan. Relax, Luther. It's much worse than you think, Ethan. I just want him manning a radar tower in Alaska by the end of the day. Just mail him his clothes. R.I.P. John Love. Oh, man. I, just the way he he says, mail him his clothes. Mail him his clothes. He, he really lets the clothes kind of like go. It's great stuff. This one is from Ethan, and it sounds like something that was left on Aaron Sorkin's cutting room floor. <laughs> Can I ask you something, Kittredge? If you're dealing with a man who has crushed, shot, stabbed, and detonated five members of his own IMF team, how devastated do you think you're going to make him by hauling mom and Uncle Donald down to the county courthouse? Best line? Oh, man. Well, I, I still think it's just they're dead. They're all my team is yeah. dead, you know? Yeah. And him screaming that is, is, is my favorite. Also, you've never seen me very upset is very – is iconic. It's extremely icy. Yeah, I'm going to go with you've never seen me very upset. I just love that scene. I love the spar – the dialogue sparring in that scene is just incredible. Uh, I think we've probably already covered um, they knew overacting. I think it's Zerny personally. <laughs> I think it goes straight – do I have to do the Ruffalo voice? They knew! <laughs> it's it's Zerny for sure, right? <laughs> I don't know. Like, Cruz is really going for it here. He get like, again, some unbelievable like blinking work by Tom Cruise when he's on the when he's on the computer and he's Job Job three four Job Job three four Job Job three four Job. Just the way he like does the like works it all out on his face is unreal work by Tom Cruise. And if it's not for the fact that you just want to look at that face. um, You'd be like, this is ridiculous. Could you dial it down at like eight? Uh, would this movie be better with Danny Trejo? I know th- what are the other people who people want us to include into Danny Trejo? This is one of like the six or seven things that matters most to Bill is the evolution of the Danny Trejo category within the rewatch. <laughs> I believe Steve Buscemi is one of them. Oh yeah, Ooh. it would definitely be Steve Buscemi. Could definitely be in. This who would movie. he be? Krieger, uh, Estevez, Estevez. Oh good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, Maybe he should be Claire. I want to oh. kind of uh, bunch these these two last ones together because they're complicated. Because Apex Mountain and and who won the movie are kind of separate here. Mm. Do you think this is Apex Mountain for Tom Cruise? No, no, no. Do you think this is Apex Mountain for Brian De Palma? No, no. Do you think this is Apex Mountain for Ving Rhames? No, no. no Pulp Fiction. Baby Boy, what's up? Yeah, more than Pulp Fiction. Baby Boy's pretty good. Wow. More than get medieval on your ass. Sure, okay. <laughs> John Voight. No. No. Not close. Anaconda. Kristen Scott Thomas. No. No. No, that's only God forgives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is not Apex Mountain for anybody. Ugh. It's not Jean Reno. I guess it's Zerny. It's Zerny's Apex Mountain. I just say he's, be, clear and, he's better in Clear and Present Danger. Wow. I can't believe I'm doing the podcast with the only other Henry <laughs> Zerny expert in the world. Shout out to you, man. What about Danny Elfman? No. Oh no. What about that's a uh, that's got to be Beetlejuice, right? Is Elfman Batman? Batman. I also really like the Midnight Run soundtrack, yeah. but nobody asked me. What about Stephen Burham, who's the Palmas? Give me some other Stephen Burham hits. <laughs> He's done some good ones. But let me like like we're trying to figure out the apex. The Outsiders. Yeah. Rumblefish. It's pretty good. Saint Elmo's Fire. Great stuff. Eight million ways to die. No. The Untouchables. Amazing. Hoffa. I'm going Untouchables. Okay. Yeah. All right. Who won the movie? 
Oof. Cruz. De Palma. Here's one I'm going to throw as a little wrinkle. Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Hollywood studio system of putting great people, the top of their craft, in the best place to succeed, giving them the money needed to build an aquarium and blow it up. Aquarium does not exist. They had to build that from scratch, and the, 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 the tanks were Tom Cruise's ideas. I'll put a twist on it. The specific way that this movie came together, that kind of chaotic, almost old Hollywood way of like they don't know what they're doing and they're not even sure what it's going to be until it's made, is kind of a thing that you don't hear about anymore except as a totally cautionary tale. Yeah, you know, it's like, like mm-hmm. this is what happened on one of those Star Wars movies and yeah. the guy got fired. Yeah, Fantastic know? Four is is a tragic comedy and now no one will ever work again with that because everything's so formulaic. So I think... Maybe the maybe the the victor is that style of collaborative, almost improvisatory filmmaking where you really get a synergy of like these creative talents in a way that seems extremely chaotic, but produces something that's really great on the screen. I think that you could make the case in both directions. I think you could say everything that you're saying is right, which is that the manic nature of Hollywood creation showed that this stuff like this can work. On the flip side, this is kind of like end times yeah. for movies, sure. and it, it signals a new path for arguably the greatest movie star of the last 30 years, where he decides that, or he realizes more or less, that to be relevant into his 50s, he has to keep falling down stuff and holding on to stuff. And it also is kind of the end of Brian De Palma, who is probably the least celebrated member of the movie Brats, but according to some people, the most talented. Right. Hmm, um, interesting. It is... The beginning of the Wagner Cruz producing partnership, which is very powerful for a time and then ends quite badly when they take over United Artists. Um, it's the end of John Voight doing good movies. Uh, <laughs> prior to this, he was in Heat, and then after that, it's kind of it's like mostly Anaconda. schlock. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's there's there's something weirdly end of an era about the movie, and so it doesn't really feel like a win for anybody except just Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, I think Cruz won the movie because Cruz yeah. is the engine of of the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't know how it works if it's anybody else but him. I can't imagine anybody else playing Ethan Hunt. They've tried. We saw it. Failed. Yeah, it didn't yeah. work. <laughs> so I think ultimately it's Cruz's movie. I think it never I, – I, there's so many what-ifs. Like what if a different director started this franchise? Yeah. What if Tom Cruise was like, that was cool, but I'm going to keep doing movies like A Few Good Men and Color of Money now instead of like, no, I have to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We'll never know. And it sounds like they've kind of come back around where, you know, these movies have started to really level out and get better and better as they get older. So it's really interesting. Any other final notes? Um, how much does it, but you, you mentioned De Palma being like the least heralded of the movie brats. How much does he hate the fact that you can't say De Palma without mentioning Hitchcock? Because is that really the issue? I think he likes it. You really? Honestly, I do. I, I think he knows that it's good to be in a lineage. Mm. And I think he doesn't like it if people say he's a ripoff artist. But, I mean, he's made an active point of homage. It's funny, you know, at at the beginning of this conversation, I said that I didn't think it was a Hitchcock homage, but you guys clearly do think that it is. And I think you're right that, like, sort of the European mystery around the movie does have shades of, like... um, Lady Vanishes. Yeah, Yeah. Lady Vanishes or or, uh, even, like, Shadow of a Doubt in some respects. Stuff like that, yeah. 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 Um, Or even the sort of um, Olivier movies or the Cary Grant movies that are set in Europe. Um, But... 
I think he probably is more frustrated by this being his most seen movie mm. because this is his studio job, you know, and he makes something artful out of it, but it's not born of the mind of Brian De Palma. It's born of the mind of four screenwriters and a big producing movie star and a studio It's interesting job, the guys you know? who are on the periphery of that of that generation of filmmakers they're referring to, which loosely is Coppola, Lucas, Spielberg, De Palma, um, Scorsese, you know, to some extent. Yeah, I, I guess Scorsese. Um, the guys who were, like, really tortured by their relationship to Hollywood, like Paul Schrader and De Palma, who were, like, frequently brought in to work on things and then just, like, you're not letting me make my art. And it's yeah. like, did you ever think that they were going to let you yeah. make Mission Impossible your way entirely? Yeah. Did you think Tom Cruise wasn't going to bring five screenwriters on? Yeah. So it's kind of it's, – it's a fascinating uh, tension there. It's a, it, it Ultimately – what Jason said is right. Is it, it, that tension created an amazing movie and a great franchise, even yeah. if it's not necessarily on the terms that every single person wanted when they first came to it. Uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of The Rewatchables. I know that we mentioned that we were going to do Mad Max this week, Mad Max Fury Road. That has been bumped until August. Uh, would you know what next week's is? Yeah, it's a little movie called Die Hard. Oh, that's oh, going to wow. be exciting. All right, so we'll see you next week with Die Hard. If you want to get ahead and start watching, rewatching that, it'd be fun. And we've got rewatchables going throughout the, the rest of the summer, so stick with us. Thanks for listening. Today's episode of The Rewatchables was brought to you by Freshly. If you're tired of spending hours on dinner or trying to master those meal kits, Freshly is the new way to get a dinner on the table in no time. Their chefs cook and deliver delicious, freshly prepared meals so that you can eat healthier without any of the work. Each meal is made to order just for you. And with a rotating weekly menu of more than 30 options made with high-quality ingredients, there's always something new, all-natural, and nutritious to try. Order Freshly today and see what it's like to put zero effort into making Making dinner, go to freshly.com slash rewatchables to get $20 off your first six dinners. The Rewatchables was brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can book in advance for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. It's easy. You book hotels in just 10 seconds with three taps and a swipe. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need.